Hello and welcome to Making the Turn, a golf performance podcast. I'm your host, Vince Drahman. Really excited to bring the first episode of the podcast to you guys today, The Life of an Elite Amateur Golfer. We're with guest Billy McKenzie today. Billy is a golfer from Hampshire, England, who's currently ranked inside the top 100 in the World Amateur Golf Rankings. As a collegiate golfer, Billy was a four-time NAI First Team All-American and collected 13 collegiate victories. Upon graduation, Billy went on to have a very successful international amateur career. In 2018, Billy won the Spanish Amateur Championship and got a chance to participate in the 2018 Spanish Open on the European Tour. Moving forward into the 2019 season, Bill has been selected as a member of the Elite England squad. Can't wait to have you guys hear some of Bill's thoughts today. We get into some of the recent experiences he's been able to have as a result of amateur golf. He got the chance to participate in Walker Cup training camp for the Great Britain and Ireland team. He recently got called up to the Elite England squad for the 2019 season. And we also look back on his 2018 season, which was a big success for him and a big stepping stone moving forward. We finally look at Bill's practice and preparation approach and his team concept when it comes to getting better at the game of golf. Can't wait to get started, so we're going to go ahead and get right into it. Here's Billy McKenzie on episode one of Making the Turn, a Golf Performance Podcast. Hats forward, headphones on, let's go! All right, well, thanks for joining us. We're here at the Making the Turn Podcast. Uh, Super excited to bring you guys our first episode with a really special guest. Uh, We've got one of my good friends and a very good amateur golfer, Billy McKenzie, joining us today from England. So, Billy, thanks for stopping in. Oh, no worries, mate. Anytime. Awesome. Well, we're really happy to have you. We're happy to get into it. Uh, I want to talk quite a bit about your kind of amateur golf and and the competitive side of amateur golf. But I want to start with you just kind of giving us a background into your golfing career, kind of your history with the sport. Yeah. So, for me, I started back in uh, 2008 when I first picked up a golf club. First of all, I was actually a football player up until then, so a soccer player for you guys in America. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so we just we just moved house and uh, into a small village called Rollins Castle, and there's a golf course. And my dad took me down there. I was saying it's an old man's game and things like that. And obviously, that that didn't last too long because uh, once I got there, 28 handicap, and just just loved it ever since. It was good for my parents as well to take me to the course because it was safe, safe environment for me to spend all my summers and. After school, when it was light out, I could go down and practice and quickly and fell in love with the game. And just obviously, just like anyone really who wants to, they just always want to hit, well, always want to get better, hit better shots. And it always kept bringing me back. So, yeah, 08 it started. Uh, didn't really take it seriously until probably 2000, 2011, 2012, when I realized got down to scratch. And then it's, it's, that's sort of when it starts to get difficult. 28 to scratch, I would say, is, is, is it's easily it's not easily doable but it's doable with little effort but then when you get from scratch to obviously plus four and whatever you, you know you go on to do as a professional i can see it's it's a it's a big challenge so um yeah so when i got down to scratch it was it was easy to it was easy to then just stay there i couldn't get any better so obviously that's when i looked into coaching and i still see my coach simon andrews and i still see him now so those little things, those little gains that you can get. And I saw it started to 
to progress and, and you know move up move up the ranks and then obviously went to college in America with you at William Woods University where you were the assistant so and now I've just graduated from there um to play a plus four word number 90 something 95 <laughs> it, it, it changes every single week um got to 60 obviously in my, in my last year um but then fell off a little bit but you know hoping to obviously get that back next year try and play in the US amateur um but yeah that's where I stand really playing for England now um England elite squad, obviously, I offered some training, did a little bit of Walker Cup stuff that I'm sure we'll get into. But, yeah, that's where I was started and that's where I am now. So Yeah, definitely. And, obviously, um, to give a little bit more background into your scenario, you've been done with college for about a year and a half now. Uh, yes. Yeah, May 2017. I graduated. Yeah, but opted to stay amateur the whole time. So why don't you go into a little bit of that, just kind of what went into the decision and then when or if you turn – plan to turn professional in the future yeah yeah sure so I was I see myself as a bit of a, of a realist um obviously there's a lot of guys out there but you, you know you should be a dreamer but um I always you know compare myself to the best players out there and compare myself to the level I was playing at and the guys I'm pegging out with and at that time when I graduated college it was yeah I was you know we're, we're in the NAIA so it's it's difficult because obviously you want to play against you know the top guys in D1 but we still have some good players in the NAIA but I could, you know, I was looking at the stats and looking at how I feel I can, you know, progress. And for me, it was best, it was, it was the best decision to stay amateur in, re in relation to building my resume a bit more. Um, obviously, if I didn't stay amateur, I wouldn't have gone on to 2008. If I turned pro after college, I wouldn't have gone on to, you know, 2018 has been a great year for me as an amateur. So it's, you know, it's easy to say that now, but even if it didn't work out that way, I still think it would have been best because otherwise, if I was pro, I would I wouldn't be making it I wouldn't have made any money if I played poorly so you know it, it was one of those things to to stay amateur and it's all about building the resume and obviously for 2019 as well that will be my last definite last year as an amateur but for me I there's a lot of good guys out there and you know I've got to be I've got to know I'm ready for the tour or you know I'm aiming to be you know top European tour player so I've got to know I'm ready for that as I turn pro not turn pro and then work my way up I want to be yeah I could play on tour right now turn pro that's this that's where I want to be when I turn pro not like some of these guys that uh, I'll turn pro and then learn my trade I want you can learn your trade in the elite amateur game I, I feel obviously some people will say playing for money is different obviously I can't I can't compare to that because I've never played for money but these elite amateurs you know back in the states and obviously over here and the top stuff that we play in these these guys can play so I'm starting to see some guys I've played with when I first came out onto this stuff make it on the tour a few friends and things like that so you know, you start to get a real sense of, of where you are. So that's where, that's why I'm staying amateur. For sure. Um, and obviously that's some pretty good insight. We have uh, a lot of listeners who are in that situation where they're college players or maybe junior players here in the States who have dreams of turning pro, but it's not always a, a straight line path. That's for sure. There's no, definitely. Yeah. There's a, you know, there's a lot that goes on. Obviously if it was easy, then everybody would do it. So it's tough. It is a tough game and, I'm seeing firsthand from a few friends or whatever it is that are, you know, making, not making a living, but are good players, but they're, strugg they're struggling to make a living. And you think, wow, these guys are really good. How, do I, how am I going to better myself, like make myself better than them to, to, you know, to then go on to do something? Otherwise, if, you're, if you think you're as good as them or, if, or a little bit worse, how can you see yourself going on to, you know, making them if they can't? So that's how I see it. Yeah, for sure. 
so let's get into you a little bit more. Obviously, yep. uh, a very successful 2018. So I want to touch on quite a few things throughout your year. Uh, we'll kind of yep. start with, with the most recent thing. So um, last week, a couple weeks ago, had a chance to go to Walker Cup training camp. Why don't you just talk a little bit about that, kind of where you guys went, how many guys were there, how it was set up, just kind of the basics of, of what you guys went through there. Yeah, so it happened on both sides of the pond. Obviously, you guys, you Americans, had had a training camp in Florida as well. Um, so we were lucky enough, obviously, as the host team, we're going to be obviously wanting to go to the, the host course. So we got ourselves down to Hoy Lake, far from the up to Hoy Lake in Liverpool. So <laughs> nice little five-hour drive up there. Um, ten of us went. There was, there was meant to be, I'd say, about 16 guys there. Um, but obviously, due to illness and people being on holiday, and some guys were playing in the South Beach, um, over in Miami so they couldn't make it but yeah the 10 of us turned up and it was kind of it was it was an insight and it gives you a bit of motivation more than anything I think that's what they tried to get out of it because they they teased us with obviously playing the course and they showed us the team room and they you know they got all the all the stories and people have like all the pictures on the walls of all the past Walker Cups and a couple of past players were there and they gave their insight into what it was like to play for GB&I and how it is to represent and then obviously they gave us a sense of how next year is going to go down and how when they come and watch us in tournaments, you know, don't, don't be worried. They're just obviously looking at everybody and things like that. So it was a great way to uh, see the course, obviously, firsthand and uh, played it in, you know, two completely, two days on the links courses. You know, you can get two completely different types of weather. And we did. We got 40 mile an hour the first day and then dead flat calm the next day. So, you know, we got to see, in essence, two different golf courses. You know, there's probably... 15 different golf courses on that same golf course just because of wind direction and yeah. temperature and how the ground is and whatever so yeah it was good to see that for a sense and um i i walked away with more looking more motivation to right i want to be there rather than they've teased so they've teased you and they you know this is what could happen and now you just got to go out and obviously make that happen next year so hopefully we can do that yeah, so what's the, the timeline Walker Cup-wise? When, when is the Walker Cup, and then when do the teams get decided? What are you guys looking at there? So September the 8th to the 10th is what, around that time is when it is next year. Um, it's obviously just over a weekend, but you, you're there that week before. And I, they pick the team, I'd say, three weeks before that, and then they let the team know maybe two weeks before that. So, you know, you've got a full season, really, realistically, until – it's going to be announced. And I think it gets announced for us over here. We have our English amateur um, and then it gets announced after that. But obviously, you know, there's, there's not just English guys that are playing for it. You know, you got all right. the GB and I. So, but yeah, that's the sort of when it's announced um, for us in early August. So yeah, hopefully we can uh, get ourselves on that side. Awesome. Awesome. Well, obviously best of luck, everything looking forward to there. Um, looking at, at another thing that kind of happened for you this year in a team aspect, I uh, got the chance to, Join the England elite squad. So uh, why don't you yep. talk a little bit about that? And especially for some of the American players that maybe don't even know what that is, can you just explain the situation a little bit and then talk a, a little bit more about uh, what that kind of means for you as well? Yeah, so this was another reason to stay an amateur as well. Um, obviously, if you turn professional, you can't, you can't be picked for these, these things. It's an amateur-based thing. So the England squad or setup is, yeah, is – is an organization that is that obviously you know you represent your country it's got the highest coaches and players in there and you go to the best courses in england and 
you can use the facilities and just being part of the squad kind of if you wanted to play another golf course you know you could kind of give you a little bit of background and say that I'm in the I'm in the England team and they kind of you know help you along your way so it was one of those things I wanted on my side um if I didn't get if I didn't get the side then I may have even thought about turning professional because obviously the, this also helps with a lot of funding and coaching that I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to afford if I was doing it on my own so luckily enough to uh yeah to get that side and then they send you on trips so I'm fortunate enough to be going to South America Chile um on the 7th of January uh just for one event and then for the South American amateur I think it is and then a month later going on a four-week trip to South Africa with three other guys from the squad as well to try and you know they they have their swing of events over there that we you know we want to play in so England are funding us to play that so without without being in that setup uh, I wouldn't have that opportunity to to go there I wouldn't have the opportunity to get coached by top coaches you know short game coaches long game coaches along with seeing my coach at home so it's just kind of opens you to to, to new aspects and you know, you get to hear stories about, you know, European tour players like Justin Rose, Tommy Fleetwood, they've all been part of that setup and when they were younger. So it's just it's just opening your eyes to, to new new possibilities. So it's great. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely exciting. Um, talked a little bit about how that affects your schedule, uh, but yeah. how does that kind of affect your mindset as well as you go into this next year? Um, does the fact that, that you're a part of that English squad, does it change anything about how you approach your season obviously you're playing different events and getting the chance to to go to some yeah. different places but does it change anything about your mindset heading into the season um i would say this it's it changes in the fact that your season starts earlier obviously um and it's it's balancing out like i've got one event in january where you know i want to be ready for that but at the end of the day i'm not going to be i don't want to play playing my best golf in january and february like that's obvious you know you want to be you want to be making it to to june july where you want to play your best stuff so obviously i want to do well but where it's just starting early i'm still working on some things just like anybody does during the winter period so i'm going to take that to that i'm not going to stop working on them just because i'm playing tournaments so you know i expect i'm expecting a good result obviously but if things don't go well it's not going to be our oh, what a waste this season is going to be like it's, it's early doors it's it doesn't it matters but it doesn't really matter i'm more looking at the experience and and go in there with a free mind and hopefully, obviously, you know, come away with some good stuff. But if, as long as I can learn, as long as you can wake up in the morning, go to bed at night and you feel like you're a, bit, you're a better player, that's all you can ask for, really. So Yeah, for sure. Um, and obviously, being able to be a part of Walker Cup training camp, be considered for the team, being a part of the, the English squad, all of that is a direct result of your play during the year of 2018. So Yeah, of course, yeah. So it, it, well, it, was, it was a play of... Yeah, obviously a bit of college as well, which they don't really take into account. Right. And then when I came back, that was another reason to stay in Am was proving my worth, obviously, because over in college, you know, I did I, I did pretty good, but it doesn't doesn't get any recognition just because the guys don't look at it as much. So right. I wanted I was determined to to you know wanting to represent my country just like anybody does. So that season was was huge for me to to be able to do that. So it you know it it just I accomplished a lot of goals in a short period of time which was the, the plan but obviously things don't always work out the plan but fortunate enough mine did so it's good for sure uh let's talk about early this year uh the the big tournament you had a chance to win down in spain um 
obviously yeah. a, a pretty cool event afforded you some pretty cool opportunities after you had the chance to win it. So just kind of talk through that whole experience to everyone. Else. Yeah. So again, that was a, something different for me going into, if you're going back into obviously the start of 2018, this event, Spanish amateur was the end of February, early March. So again, the season was starting early for me. Um, didn't have that opportunity before. I normally started at the Livam Trophy. So that was obviously a month later. So yeah, starting early again, going in with the same mindset pretty much as what I will be this year of it's not the be all and end all of, you know, your season's going to be based on this one event. But obviously, yeah, fortunate enough to go to La Manga and, and qualify in last place. So, <laughs> you know, I got the last spot. I, it was really windy. And uh, it was just a battle of survival. And obviously, yeah, got, they got the last spot, 30 second spot in. And then you take out the first seed first round and then, you know, anything can happen from there. So we're obviously lucky enough to go all the way and then didn't realize till afterwards that that gets you a spot, obviously at the European tour event in Madrid. So it was, uh, yeah, it was obviously a great experience um, to play that. It was a great, it was a great opportunity to win, winning that early doors sort of set the whole season on fire from there. You know, a lot of more eyes were on you. England was straight on me. I went straight to, you know, not straight into the, the team, but I got, rep, I got to represent England in their main match that year, straight from that. I wasn't part of the setup before. So that's pretty, it's not rare, but, you know, this, this, it's, it's not often that guys just jump in straight to the team rather than obviously doing what I'm doing now, going through the train and stuff first. So to them, it's probably a shock result. But to me, I knew it was always capable of my abilities. And especially on a course like that, where it was all about getting the ball in the air, you know, it's, that's, that's, that's my game. So, yeah, it was, yeah. It was great. Awesome. Uh, and then talk, obviously you got a chance to play in, in the Spanish Open as a result of that yeah. on the European Tour, um, first European Tour start. So talk about that experience and, and kind of what that was like being able to go over there to Madrid and, and get a chance to play with obviously the best players in the world. Yeah, so lucky enough, um, the Spanish Federation funded my week for that, obviously for winning the Spanish Am. So I got to stay in the Players Hotel, so it all starts we got there Masters Sunday. It was the week after, so we got there Masters Sunday. We uh, went down to the to the lobby to watch it. Me and my friend who come over to caddy, and we saw yeah straight away some of the boys that were playing that week. You know, a couple of like like Beef and uh, a couple of the other boys I pulled on were were already there, ready ready to to crack on with Spain. And so yeah, it was cool to meet those guys. You know, just just not didn't have to speak to many people that week. I did speak to a few guys and got close to a few, but you were just I just kind of took a back seat and, and just looked at what they did, you know, look at the little things, the things that the cameras don't see on the tour. So like when you go inside the clubhouse, you, you know, the physio rooms, the training rooms and how many guys are working out and all these little things that guys are doing to, to prepare themselves for that week. And then if it doesn't work out that week, you know, they just go crack on Saturday, Sunday, a full day's practice. And then they get on the, on the plane, they go to the next one. So it's things that, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to see the guys that play well. Um, on the TV, oh yeah, it's, it's easy. But it's the guys that are not playing well was the ones I was looking at because obviously when we, any like any of us, when we play, when we start to play bad, you think the whole world's against you and you're never going to come back and things like that. So it was good to look at someone like Robert Carlson, for example. He missed the cut by loads. I mean, I only missed it by one, but he missed it by like seven. And he was straight, he was the first guy on the bus that Saturday morning with me and a few of the others, but he was the first guy on there, ready to go to the range. He was there, you know, nine o'clock till 3 p.m. that day and goes back and he does the same thing Sunday. Then he catches his flight to the next event. It's these little things that 
you realize how hard they work and they deserve obviously everything they get in relation to that because they work so hard so it's great yeah yeah definitely um and then one other thing with with last year's season i want to get into just for people who maybe don't understand the the differences between more of an american style golf and international golf obviously uh end of the summer right before the usam you had the chance to come over and play in a couple events uh the coast am and the western am so talk a little bit about those experiences but then if you could just touch a little bit on the difference between more of like american style courses and and then some of the courses you get to play when you go other places yeah for sure so obviously over here we have i'd say we have, we have three styles of courses and it's it, you know, got parkland heathland and then links so those three courses are they're all different they all play completely different so obviously parklands are sort of your american courses where you know they're all tree line one type of grass uh i think it, well it's normally just bent grass for us over here where it's, it's okay you know it's, it's not you don't need to learn any specific skills to be able to play out of that and then you got heathland with heather which obviously you were lucky enough to well <laughs> lucky enough you came over and caddied for me in the european am and uh, you got to see a little bit of walton heath obviously some guys may have watched that on the tv this year where justin hosted um and that heather sort of aspect where the fairway sort of sort of play a little bit linksy, they sort of burn out quite easily and you get a lot of bounce, but then the greens are quite soft still. So as long as you're in play, you can fire at flags and you're still okay. But when you start getting in that heather, it's get your lob wedge out and get it back in play because it's, it's some thick stuff. And then obviously you have the links aspect where everyone watches the open every year and mainly amateur golf is, is a lot of links just because condition of course is always better on a links on a links no matter when you play it in the year so obviously our first few events sometimes mainly on a links course because it's the only courses that are really tournament ready to be able to play so you play on those but you could get all sorts of weather like you could get it could be it could be freezing cold it could be snowing and you know you're out there they'll get you out there as much as they can so sometimes level par is a great score um sometimes three overs a great score and you know sometimes obviously if it's benign conditions links courses you can get at so yeah it's 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 different it's different to america obviously because when i came over and played the pack coast so it all it is is about how how low you can shoot really there's going to be someone every day that's going to go deep it's, it's fact if whether it's you or not it's, it's up to you uh so yeah playing playing the pack coast especially at the olympic club obviously u.s open venue perfect conditions in california a bit foggy but it's still perfect conditions. you didn't have to worry about wind things like that you were just going out there hitting as high and hard as you can pitching really well and trying to and just holding putts and if you did that you know you're going to be up there but when you come to the gb courses it's not all about hitting it high and you know you could get unlucky with the 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 draw just like they do in the open you could be off in the morning it could be dead flat calm you'd be off in the afternoon they could be blowing 40 mile an hour and then you you think you know that turns four under into a two over and you played no different and then sometimes you know some guys posted six under in the morning and you're going out in the afternoon you, you're out of the tournament before it's even started so yeah it's very different uh scores are one with a lot higher numbers over here i would say um just because of conditions obviously difficult and i've been fortunate enough to play with a few Americans that come and play our events and yeah they find it completely <laughs> different to to how they how they play so it's yeah it is difficult but I mean America has a lot of a lot of tough with the types of grasses and things like that I found that difficult when I played in college obviously to to adapt to to going down into Florida and Georgia and stuff with that Bermuda so 
it, you know, it's, it's where you grow up. Obviously, I grew up over here, so I find it easier to play over here. But Americans are obviously going to find it easier to play over there. So it's, it's about – a good thing about playing internationally is, you know, you learn everything. So it's, uh, it's something that you, you, you just got to work on. You've got to work on everything. You've got to be good for every single condition. You know, that's what the best players in the world are. Tiger Woods doesn't he, – he can't play on one course. You know what I mean? He, he's won everywhere. So the best in the world work on every sort of part of their game. So that's where, that's where you've got to be. Definitely. Um, all right. So let's look more a little bit into kind of your practice and your preparation, um, how you go about that. One of the things that, that we talk about quite a bit on the channel is the team aspect of it. So surrounding yep. yourself with a team of coaches, trainers, whatever those people may be that are going to help you get to that next level. So talk a little bit about kind of your setup right now um what you have from a team aspect yeah so yeah obviously everyone thinks golf's an individual game but everybody if you get to a certain if you want to get to the best level you can possibly be you need guys around you that can help you out because you know i'm no expert in the gym i'm no expert with the golf swing i need i need people feeding me that information when i need it to obviously get me to my best so yeah so with england as well there's another helpful thing that they do they they supply a psychologist they supply a a, you know, a strength and conditioning coach and they, they have the gym on site and they, you know, they give you insights into what's good, what's not, what the guys are doing on tour. Lucky enough, the guy from the European tour truck comes down and that gives us a chat and, and says that these guys are doing this. People like B, for example, people think he doesn't work out. The guy's in there every week. You know, <laughs> he, he, he still can lift just because he's a bit overweight. He can still, he's still a very strong guy and you know, it helps him obviously perform as good as he can. So, yeah, for me, I have, yeah, the guys with England are really helpful with a strength conditioning coach. You get a psychologist, you get your sweating coaches, and then obviously you have your guys back home as well. So, yeah, I, the, the biggest mistake I made was obviously you get flooded with that information. Obviously, lucky enough, I was flooded with all that information joining, the, like being part of the setup. And it's just being able to filter out what you like and what you don't need. Because if you take it all on board, there's things you're doing fine. And if you get to this level, if you get to that level of being able to get in this, the team, you're, you're obviously doing the right things. So they're just trying to help you along the way to get, keep you going. And I, my, one of the mistakes I did make was just trying to take on all this information and use everything they told me when, say, for example, chipping, they were, you know, there may be a little different technique that someone's doing. And I'm like, oh, I've got a chip like that. And I'm like, well, you're already a good chipper. Why, you know, maybe take a little bit, maybe take their lofted shot that, they, that they're teaching you, but you're maybe really good with a bump and run or whatever, whatever it may be. It was just trying to filter out. And I feel like I've done that now, but it took, took a good couple of months of actually going on a little bit of a downward spiral to think, well, I don't, I don't not, not that I don't belong, but I was like, this is harder than I thought. And to them realizing that you're, you're already a good player. This is what you need to do, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that go into that sort of aspect. And then on the practice practice side, uh, a lot of guys, obviously, you don't say the same with the guys on tour. I always, I always look out for videos of tour pros giving little tips of what they're doing and things like that because you, practice can get boring if you do it all the time. Fortunately enough, in my situation, I think I'm lucky enough to practice every day. So if you do keep doing the same thing over and over again, you, you know, you're going to get nothing out of it. So a lot of things things I do are uh, skill test related. Obviously you want to try and practice like you play, but 
practice. I always set it up to practice harder than what golf actually is. So just for example, say if you're doing a driving, just practicing your driving, I'd make the fairway 20 yards wide. You got 10 balls, got to hit 70% fairways. Don't go home until you do that. So obviously, you know, if you can hit it in 20 yard fairway, seven out of 10, that's going to be way easier. Then there's no fairway, there's next to no fairways out there that are only 20 yards wide. So it's just making your practice harder to be, and then to be able to, uh, to perform at your best, obviously. And we use a, I use a black book that's got literally all my tests, results, and every lesson I've ever had is in there. And just every now and then I may go back to a, like a snippet of four months ago when I had a lesson and we we're working on something because I had this certain problem, that problem may come up again. So I'm going back to that to look at what, you know, my coach told me to do then to get out of it or, and it may be the same thing. It may not be, but it's normally always there written down somewhere to get me out of it. So yeah, I always recommend notebook, pen, can't go wrong with that. You got to write everything down because you can only take in so much information and remember it. (laughs) You got to write it all down. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the things that you notice uh, I mean, really any, any human, but also especially golfers, it seems like we're very much creatures of habit. A lot of the times the yeah. mistakes we make are the same ones over and over. And so if you have that information written down and you're able to just easily access it, it it's a lot easier to move oh, forward for and sure. not get stuck in the yeah. same ruts. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be stuck there. It's, it's not a nice place. Awesome. So along those same lines, talk to me a little bit about some of the changes that you've made to your game. Uh, kind of over the past year, obviously, I know when I had the chance to be your coach in college, one of the things that, that we worked a lot on was your putting. I know you've got a new um, kind of putting yeah. style now. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure a lot of guys are familiar with Aimpoint. Um, I just went straight. Yeah, come back. I wish I learned it at college, really, because um, the greens are, you know, the American greens, I feel, are, are, it's much suited to American greens because on average, your greens are, I'd say, are purer than ours. But, uh, yeah, so I went straight to the main guy, Jamie Donaldson. Uh, just obviously went with him as a, just a blank canvas, pretty much said, look, struggling with my putting, find it difficult to read, read putts. I feel like I'm hitting good putts, but obviously they're not going in. So went with his, his method of aim point about, obviously, you know, use your feet to feel. And soon, since the first lesson, you know, I've been hooked. I absolutely love it. I think there's no better way to read greens. There's no quicker way to read greens. It's... It, for me, it just simplifies what, what we're doing. There's no messing around. There's, it's either, you know, 1%, 2%, 3%, 4 5 mainly mainly 1% to 3% all the time. So, you know, you pick whichever one that is, and you just you go with it. it. It makes it that easy rather than, you know, you're behind it and you're reading it and you're like, is that, is that two cups? Is that three cups? You don't, I don't have to worry about that. So instead of hitting like a tentative, uh, trying to hold it, I'm, you know, I'm, pitting it on my line if it goes in it goes it goes in if it misses it misses i may have misfelt the slope or i may have hit it too hard but it gives me a instantly i've got some feedback of why i've missed it not i've just missed it do you know it gives you something to learn straight away yeah definitely um and so is aim point something that you're like continuously going to see a coach for are you trying to learn more about that all the time or is it something that once you learn it you're pretty well set and you can go on your uh, the first couple of sessions, if you go to the, you know, say if you go here for the first time, you're probably set for a while because it takes, it takes a while to, to get out of habit of bending down to read parts, for example, gets, you know, little things like that. You don't have to do that anymore. You know, you've got to go and straddle your line or whatever. 
So it takes a few months to probably get out of routine and get into your new routine of doing this. Um, but then after that, he's always learning as well. There's always things that they're doing that are game changing. And we've just recently got, they've introduced this speed mat where it works on, uh, you put it behind your putter when you're, when you're hitting and it works on your stroke length and it, you know, you've got to hit it at different strokes and different rhythms to, to time it to 10, 20 and 30 yard, uh, 30 foot putts. And, you know, that's something they've just invented and what they've worked on with tour players and how all the information they've got, they've, they've sunk it into a little mat that you can, you know, grind on whether you're a quick putter like a Brian Snedeker or someone who's really slow like Kadeki Matsuyama. It kind of puts you in your, where you, where you putt your best, you work out where you putt your best. So they, that's something they've just introduced. So, you know, they're always working on little things here and there and they're always finding out with, especially with that putt view now, that's another thing that's being introduced obviously to a lot of guys. And they're always telling you about, you know, how putts do certain things and things like that. So yeah, it's something that I always, I would say I go putting coach probably once every couple months is, is probably good enough to be, for me, I've always on bombarders of information. So I like to work, I like to be given something, work on it, go back, work on something else once I've mastered that. So that's the best way to do it. Otherwise, if you keep going, you're just going to repeat yourself. Awesome. Uh, and then one last thing in terms of your preparation practice, talk a little bit about the mental game. Um, yep. First of all, just how important it is to, to golf at the highest level, Very. but also um, just kind of how you go about practicing that. Maybe some of the things that you either do with the England team or that you've done on your own to try to work on, on your own mental game throughout the years. Yeah. Um, being just more positive for, for a start is, is, <laughs> the only thing that well is the main thing that that for me obviously as you know me that is um it's very important for me to stay positive because then everything else comes comes from that but a lot of it is mentally it's working it's working you mentally when you're practicing so that you can be ready for when you play so for me it's just like doing the test it's it's all full routine it's all this is what i'm gonna do i'm thinking about the shot don't play a shot until I'm 100% committed on that's the shot. It may be the wrong shot. It may not be the right shot. But if I can believe that it's the right shot at that time, there's more chance that you're going to pull it off. So with England as well, they work on, we've been working with, I asked him to work with me a bit more on Lynx golf preparation, obviously, because when you get to Lynx, the same when people come and visit, they, they instantly think they need to play everything really low. And you hit eight irons from 100 yards. And I was trying, I was falling too much into that category of trying to play the shot that wasn't that there, there was a shot there but it wasn't my best shot so the guys got me working on making sure I think about what the best shot is for me rather than what the best shot may be for someone else because everybody's different you know I might like it in pitching wedge 70 yards but someone else may hate that or I might like you know floating it just hitting one club more and smashing it and letting the wind sort of drift it back rather than someone who likes to knuckle it in there. So that's something I'm definitely working on mentally for next year as well, preparing, because obviously everything's going to be on the links. And obviously I've never been a, been a huge fan where I hit it a bit higher. I've never been a huge fan of that. So it's going into that with a better attitude and not, and knowing that I don't need to change my game to be able to play well on links. I just got to play the right shot for me rather than trying to hit shots that I not necessarily don't practice, but don't, like playing and especially under tournament pressure and they become even harder so 
it's about playing the right shot for me and mentally that's what the England guy and whoever I speak to in the past is is that's the main reason what, what I'm doing so that's awesome um talk to me a little bit about the 2019 schedule looking forward obviously we hit on some of the events that you're going to be playing in coming yep. up uh, kind of what the schedule looks like but what are you looking forward to the most in terms of tournaments coming up? And then what are maybe some of your goals for this season? What are some of the things that you want to try to get accomplished? Yeah. So um, first you, well, looking forward to obviously the big events. You look, you're looking forward to walk up at the end of the season. Really. That's, that's the, that's the main goal, I guess. Um, if we make that team, you've obviously done something throughout the year to, to be worthy of being in there. So, but you put little things in. So that's the long-term. Not, it's not really a set. It's a medium-term goal being a year. Short-term goals of obviously looking at my stats from last year. What we, what we decided was, I sat down with my coach. What we decided was par five scoring, nowhere near good enough where it needs to be. Obviously, I think I average 5.75 or something like that. 5.77 or something, something like that. Which, obviously, if you're trying to win golf tournaments, par fives, you're scoring holes, and you should be averaging four and a half. Uh, yeah, four and a half. On that. Sorry, I was averaging 4.75, not, not five point seven. I, I know what you meant, but... <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah. So, I was averaging 4.77, 4.75, rather than 4.5. So, you know, that's a quarter shot around. It's going to add up to a shot tournament easily. Um, no, and then, obviously, you look at your, your positives as well. You know, par three scoring is obviously always pretty good. It's always been a good part of my game, long irons. So... You know, you look at that and you go, right, we need to keep this. But then we look at the, the aspects of where we need to improve. Par 5 scoring came again mentally. A lot of it was mentally looking at the whole saying, I need to make birdie here rather than, or I should make birdie here, rather than going, it's a bird, looking at it as it's a birdie opportunity, not I need to do anything. You don't need to do anything. You can birdie any hole in the course. So going into it with a little bit of a different attitude rather than just trying to set ourselves up for a birdie opportunity rather than say, I have to make birdie here. So that's something we're definitely looking at. And obviously looking at bunker play um, wasn't as good as what it needed to be. Because a lot of time, you know, you're going for par fives and two, going to greenside bunker, it's a good shot. And then you don't get up and down, you walk away at five, you're like, oh, this is frustrating. So I'm trying to improve that a little bit. Um, and yeah, just all around, just look, working on little shots that I felt this year was, if it's a shot I can't play under pressure, then it's a shot you don't have. In, so it's a shot you need to work on. So obviously anything with draws and stuff, they're always okay with me, but just working on that fade to get to left, obviously being a left-hander, to get to those back left pins and tournament conditions, it's, it's, diff it's difficult to, to draw it into there. So, because obviously if I don't if I draw it enough, I'm going to be short-sided and probably not go up and down. So being able to fade it from the middle of the green, if it stays straight, it's still an okay shot. Fading it, perfect. Just working on that shot where I can trust it in a tournament is definitely... The, not the, it's probably one of the main things we're working on just with club face control and things on trap man and stuff, just trying to work out how best it is for me to hit a fade. Obviously, not, it's different for everybody. So trying to work on that and being able to trust it. But yeah, in terms of the season, the schedule's looking, schedule's looking okay. Um, it's going to be obviously a solid start with, with South Africa. And then there's a little bit of a break before the English stuff kicks in. But I think it's going to be a long year. So this this little test in the next couple of months to see where we're at, see what we need to work on. Then when we come back from that, get ourselves ready for the, for the long summer of Lynx golf. So hopefully we can uh, deliver. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so we're on to a part of the show now we like to do. It's a little bit of fun. We call it the twilight nine. So we like to compare okay. it to 
gone out late on a summer's evening trying to play nine holes as quick as possible. So I'm going to ask you nine questions. I just want first thing that pops into your head, rapid fire answers, okay? Nice. Okay. All right. Lowest tournament score? 63. Go-to pre-round meal? Oh, carbonara. Spaghetti carbonara. <laughs> Favorite on-course snack? Those uh, beef jerky. So you don't really get them over here, though, but they are amazing. <laughs> uh, your pre-gym pump-up song at the moment? <laughs> always, always, always Eminem. Always. <laughs> <laughs> always. This is my playlist. On the car, on the way to get down there. I love it. Uh, the hardest or your least favorite exercise to do in the gym? Oh, squats. I hate them. I hate them. I don't think I'm ever going to come back up. Um, you get to the course before a tournament and you only have 10 minutes before your tea time. What do you do? Stretch. Like it. It's a good <laughs> fitness answer. Uh, yeah. What's your golf brand of choice? Cobra. There you go. Can't get yourself in trouble with the sponsor. Yeah, I definitely can't. <laughs> uh what's the best movie of all time it's got to be the hangover nice uh yeah what's your favorite sports team manchester united there you go i knew that one uh all right that's so, so that's our twilight nine uh excited to be able to do that for a little bit of fun uh, real quick before we let you go a couple more questions just to try to help out some of the people that may be listening um if you were talking to a junior golfer who is looking to play golf in college, whether that's someone who's international looking to come to the States or even somebody in the States who's in high school or a little younger that's looking to find a spot uh, on a division one or on a college roster, what would your number one piece of advice be to them? To hit it hard and part as much as you can. Practice part <laughs> as much as you can. Uh, and then in the same regard for somebody who is currently a college player, and wants to pursue a career in golf, whether that be professional golf or whatever afterwards, uh, what would your best advice be to them? Obviously, work, work hard, but you've got to think that everybody's working hard. So my advice would be to work smarter. I like it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, one last question before we let you go. Uh, where can the listeners follow along with you at? Where can they follow your season? What's the best place to, to keep in touch with you? It's best to get on me uh, Instagram or Twitter is the same thing. So at Mackenzie underscore Billy is the awesome. best way to follow me. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Yeah, I'll be sure to, to put that in the notes for the show. Uh, so be feel, feel free to give Billy a follow. Um, appreciate you stopping by the Making the Turn podcast, man. Really enjoyed it. Uh, no worries. Anytime, mate. Anytime. That wraps up today's episode of Making the Turn. Really want to give a huge thank you to Billy McKenzie for coming on the podcast with us today. Always great to catch up with a friend, but I also think Billy does a great job of giving you guys some insight into his life and how he's able to sustain a high level of success in amateur golf. Can't wait to follow along with his season and wish him the best of luck coming up here in January and February as he travels to South America and South Africa. Once again, be sure to give Billy a follow on social media. I'll be sure to link his accounts down in the description box below. Also want to give you guys a huge thank you for watching this episode, for supporting us from the beginning. Can't wait to continue to grow what we're doing here. So please feel free to like and share this episode. Also subscribe to the channel if you like what you saw. We have a lot of good stuff coming in the next few weeks. So really can't wait to continue to produce some great interviews and some good content. Once again, thanks for stopping by. 
Can't wait to see you guys next week. This is Vince Drum and Golf, and I'm out.